Welcome to the About Sex Podcast. I'm Joshua Skirtu, and with me, as always, is my lovely wife, Angela Skirtu, resident sex therapist over here. Hi, Hi. Angela. Hi, Josh. How are you? I'm good. How are you? <laughs> Who are we have today? Well. So we actually have a fellow sex therapist. His name is Dr. David Lay, and he has written The Myth of Sex Addiction. He's also written Ethical Porn for Dicks mm. and Insatiable Women. Is that correct, David? Insatiable wives, Insatiable. women who stray, and the men who love them. Ah, awesome. Okay, and he's coming long distance. I'm sure you all can hear that. <laughs> <laughs> so anyhow, David, thank you for being here with yeah, us. Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity to chat with you. Yeah, that's <laughs> awesome. So first, we're going to start out by talking a little bit about something in the news. It's Trump. Everybody loves him, right? Yay! Yeah. <laughs> so, and he loves science so much that he took time to ban a whole bunch of words and the first one what do you do the first one is science-based second is evidence-based diversity entitlement vulnerable fetus and transgender fetus he banned fetus fetus don't exist to the cdc anymore what (laughs) (laughs) why and 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 i the word science-based, I mean, I just, it's extraordinary. I mean, I i think where we are right now is this really disturbing place where, um, you know, people's opinions matter just as much as scientific evidence. Right. And you know, the stronger you believe, the louder you shout about it is viewed as just as good as, um, you know, empirical data. Right. It's... Uh, no, it's, it's, true. it's frightening times. It really is. It's a time where if you put out enough tweets about something and you keep saying something over and over again, which is part of Trump's tactics, and <laughs> yeah. he just yeah. keeps saying it He's over and over again wheel. to the point where people are saying, oh, the controversy about this topic, because mm-hmm. if you keep saying something about it, oh, it's a controversy all of a sudden. Well, you know, there's there's interesting stuff written about this. I mean, the you know, some of this kind of comes from sort of postmodern philosophy and you know the modern place where we are right now of this post-truth kind of um, stance, where um, there is no such thing as truth, and that an individual person's individual experience um, is really the hallmark of of kind of. Meaning and unfortunately, that that really it makes sense when you're talking about a patient, for instance, who is you know uh, reporting that something bothered them, even though something somebody else might say, oh, you know, that shouldn't bother you. The fact that a patient says it did, um, you know, really identifies their experience. The problem is that you know we we can't allow the subjectivity because that's what this is is the the value of the subject experience over uh, kind of the rest of the world's perception. Right. Um, Pretty much over reality's perception. (laughs) Well, I mean, you have to have a balance of the two, right? Like, it feels like we're skewing dead. I was telling Josh earlier. No, you don't want a balance. You want reality. (laughs) (laughs) Hold on. I don't want a balance. That's what they want. They want, oh, we want it to be a controversy. So while these people That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is that, like, yes, people's individual experiences matter. But, like, we consider that, like, it's not empirical data. That's more of that uh, qualitative data. That's not science. And here's the thing. He's banning words. He's banning us. Like the CDC is a scientific organization, but it's also a government organization. Mm-hmm. And by banning these words, and in the past they've actually banned like them from actually researching like guns. Like they're not yeah, like, or like guns. pot, for example. They're trying to actually skew science's perspective on reality. They're making it so that okay, science can't even talk about a fetus. <laughs> That's so weird. Yeah. Science can't talk about transgender people. What are you saying? Some of this isn't that new. I mean, we, yeah. you know, the the CDC and FDA, for instance, you know, and the government have been banned for researching from researching sexuality um, mm-hmm. for many years now, unless it was about pregnancy prevention or STI prevention, yeah. which is part of the reason why we're we're kind of in the place that we are right now as a country when it comes to sexuality issues. I think the you know, the overall troubling thing is that this appears to be a one-way ratchet you know it just keeps increasing and getting harder and harder to 
to talk about objective reality yeah. um, and uh, you know and the intrusion of politics into the way we you know not only um, you know allocate political funds but mm-hmm. uh, you, you know just the way that we see the world I mean my god climate change right um, oh yeah they're banned from researching that now pretty much yeah. <laughs> it's like we're yeah. just gonna yeah. turn our eyes away that doesn't exist yeah, yeah and, and a lot of <laughs> a lot of the research in our country comes from government funding that's yeah. a, that's, I don't think a lot of people understand well, that. Because there's not a lot of money in it, right? Like so, right. a lot of research doesn't bring any. But it brings in gain. facts. It brings in um, health, health and well-being. You never know what it's going to bring. Like <laughs> well, all the research, true. all the research into like the space race, we got Velcro out of that. Who well, knew? <laughs> no, really, really. Well, and, and, and we got silicon. And we got know, silicon. Like, there's so many amazing silicon. things. You never you know, know what and, you're going to get. That's right. Silicon is great in sex toys and lube. It is. I mean, so. <laughs> Which is another part of our topic here. Yeah. (laughs) So what we're saying here, I think, is that we need to allow scientists to have the freedom to research what they need to do. Because actually, sometimes happy accidents happen that are helpful in the long run. But if you're skewing it and skewing it and taking it away, we were talking earlier about this. And I was saying it feels kind of like North Korea where they like choose what information they let in and what information we let Mm -hmm. out. But I guess countries have been doing it forever. Oh, yeah. People have been doing it for years. Like the Nazis loved it. They were big <laughs> you with, said you did it. Th- they did jo- it best, right? Yeah, the Joseph Goebbels, <laughs> he perfected the art of propaganda. Totally. Like they're pretty <sighs> stuff. Anyway, enough about Nazis and all that. <laughs> <laughs> let's, on a lighter note, let's talk about sex. <laughs> let's talk about sex now. So, yeah, the reason that is relevant is they were talk- They were banning transgendered people. So uh-huh. yeah. yeah, in our last episode, well, was this I, about I mean, that? I, I actually, I think it's very relevant. Um, yeah. You know, a lot of the work that I do um, is focused on um, addressing myths and uh, you know kind of shaming subjectivity kind of assumptions yeah. in mental health care unfortunately a lot of therapists have no training in sexuality More yes. than 90% of therapists have really? no training in sexuality wow. mm-hmm. and so and doctors are pretty high on that number yeah. too and so what they, are some of the myths uh, that you actually uh, try to uncover with your um, research in your books um, well, you know, like sex addiction is a, is a big one. Um, oh, yeah. You know, people currently diagnose sex addiction if somebody comes in and says they feel like they can't control their sexuality, mm-hmm. which is really connects to this 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 whole kind of you know uh, postmodern sort of belief that just because I feel like I can't control something doesn't mean I actually can't. Right. Well, and I want to throw um, it in there that it's not in the DSM, right? Like it's not a real diagnosis yeah. currently. Yeah, they've taken it. Yeah, have they ever had it in there? Or? They've tried five, was it five times they tried and they failed every time? Yeah, I call it the hokey pokey. I mean, it was actually, <laughs> it, it, it was, it, you know, nymphomania and satyriasis, the male version of nymphomania, were, oh. were in DSM-1. Oh, and so, then they were out and then they got back in. Mm-hmm. There was something in um, DSM-3R where it was um, called, uh, you know, it, it was basically an old version of what was called Don Juanism. Where Don Juanism. <laughs> He's too sexy. Guys, yeah, no, guys you can't. That pursue women and enjoy the conquest. Right. Um, also, kind of called Casanova syndrome Wait. or James Bond syndrome. That was a diagnosis. <laughs> it was. It was a criteria in a diagnosis not otherwise specified under sexual disorder, and that was removed in DSM four. We're now under on DSM five, mm-hmm. and it's been out um, consistently since since the early nineties. Well, um, and and and. As, as Angela said, you know, it's been consistently rejected based on science because yeah. what is clear is that, um, you know, the, the idea of sex addiction, the idea that you, you know, can't control your sexuality is really coming from um, moral, uh, morally driven kind of experiences. So somebody who has been taught that the only sex that they're allowed to have, the only sex that is okay or not sinful mm-hmm. is heterosexual monogamy. Right. And then anytime that individual, for instance, wants to masturbate or wants to look at porn and feels and, and enjoys it or has fantasies about you know gay sex or group sex or whatever um, that feels like something that they have to battle and right. mm-hmm. you know, a, a famous guy said uh, you know when you declare war on your own sexuality you're really fighting a losing battle yeah, and you're fighting yourself that's yeah that's what this is all about and it unfortunately it's 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 very very sad i mean i i I like to say look if i walk into my doctor's office and i 
I'm sneezing. My doctor doesn't say, David, you got a sneezing addiction. Instead, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the doctor tries to figure out, you know, do I have bacteria, um, bacterial infection, a right. virus, or allergies? And right. we have to treat each of those differently. Which, David, um, something you're we, kind of speaking to here is context, right? That, like, there's more to it than just sex. Like, everybody likes sex, but there can be extra factors associated with sex that sometimes are causing problems for people. Right. Correct? Yeah, and there's more to science, and there's more to mm-hmm. medicine, and there's more to um, mental health treatment than just what somebody believes. Mm-hmm. There's mm-hmm. actually science and data and evidence behind all of this. Go, God, evidence. See, there you go. Oh, no. Um, Disgusting. But, you know, the, the, <laughs> oh, no, we're not allowed to say science-based anymore. Yeah. <laughs> no evidence-based. Sorry. Sorry, David. We're going to have to right. ban you from using that on You're the show. banned from the CDC. <laughs> Yeah, you know, amongst all the things that I get censored and bleeped for, if I'm going to get bleeped and censored now for saying evidence-based, I mean, you know. What are you going to do do with your life? Say the word evidence. I mean, we're done. Yeah, you know, know, you can't say evidence. I mean, come on. Well, you know, you can allude to it. Like, remember when, like, people do cuss words instead of saying the cuss words, they allude to it like the C word. So it could be like the EB word. Oh, no, it's even better. You know. The, the, the scientific term formally known as oh, oh like yeah. Prince based. oh he brought in a reference yes. I like oh, it oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> so has there been actual uh, research studies done trying to kind of analyze uh, um, sex addiction and try to see if if it is real, I mean, did, did has yeah, any... actually, I mean, um, the, there have been a lot of studies, actually, and especially over the just the past couple of years, we're learning a lot. And some of the things we're learning, for instance, are that you know, self-identified sex addicts don't have any more difficulty in exerting self-control than anyone else, huh. even though they say they do. Interesting. Um, and mm-hmm. that the identity mm-hmm. of being a porn or a sex addict is predicted predominantly by their religious and moral values about sex, not by how much sex they have. Sex addicts mm-hmm. don't actually get laid any more than anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> they feel worse about it. Which I just read a book called The Willpower Instinct that says that the worse you feel about something, the more likely you're going to repeat that behavior so like if you feel bad about eating cake then that's going to be your go-to thing when you feel bad right but he's not (laughs) but he's saying they don't even have different rates like regular like that in general identifying as being sex addicts yeah Yeah. Um, that's crazy now i mean i i think there is some some you know validity in in terms of the idea that if you've never been taught to um understand your own sexuality or to perceive your sexual desires as normal then they're going to feel kind of alien and they're going to feel yeah. like something that is out of control. You've been told um, you're a you know, bad person. 12, yeah. Yeah. Yep. Something yep. like 12% of people report that they are concerned mm-hmm. about um, their use of pornography, but only less than 2% of people actually experience difficulties related to it. So we have this huh. we, we have this wide discrepancy between the way people feel versus what reality is. Mm-hmm reality. (laughs) No, it's true. And actually, you know, something you pointed out is that normalcy. Half of my job as a sex therapist is reminding people, oh, yeah, that's totally normal. Yeah. Oh, your desire is just a little different. That's fine. (laughs) You know, like everybody feels like there's something wrong with them. And part of it is that I feel like as a society, we're so puritanical. We're just so scared of sex or there's so much shame associated with sex that we can't like talk as a society mm. casually about sex. Right. And so everybody yeah. feels like there's something weird or wrong with them. You know, and I've noticed that, like, anytime I've tried to bring up sex around anybody who has any religious beliefs... We happen to have a few in the family. Definitely. And I, and I, love, <laughs> I love them very much, and I respect that they have beliefs. But anytime sex is brought up, they it's like a deer in headlights. And if, and if any of their teenagers are around, oh, it's even worse. They're like, how dare you say the word masturbate around I know. My one time he brought up the word masturbation, and they're like, shh, what are you doing? Oh, what are you doing? <laughs> Jesus <laughs> will hear you. Table, my God, dude. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, there's, a, there's a really neat book. Um, it's called Making Peace with um, uh, Sexuality, I think. It's, yeah. And it's, um, uh, it's by a therapist up in Seattle who is writing about them, these issues and the conflict between conservatives religion and, um, and and modern sexuality and a lot of this comes from the you know the historical kind of mind body split where we 
we philosophically and religiously identified, you know, the spiritual person, the spiritual plane as being higher than and better than this kind of react, this brutish reality that we all live in. And, you know, these are the same reasons why, you know, Kellogg's Corn Flakes and Graham Crackers and Granola Bars were invented because those were foods that were bland right. and allegedly yeah. would not trigger you to masturbate. Right. Um, oh my God, I've been eating food. graham crackers yeah. this whole time. He's been eating graham crackers way too much. Oh. What are we going to do, Josh? Yeah. I need to throw away the graham crackers. Oh. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Yeah. I'll help with the libido. Here's your PSA. You're totally allowed to eat graham crackers. The more you know. <laughs> It's black licorice, actually, that you need to watch out for because black really? licorice actually su- um, uh, suppresses your testosterone. Is it the anise uh, in it? Well, yeah, uh, black licorice yeah. is based I, on I, anise. I don't know anything about your niece, but you know, <laughs> you know, you're not supposed to talk about masturbation around her. <laughs> oh, wow. That's funny. But um, she threw me out there. Yeah. That's a good one. You broke Josh. It's okay, you though. Broke me. He'll come back. <laughs> so. Uh, l- let's talk about what an actual addiction is. Like, what defines an actual addiction? Sex addiction isn't real. What is an actual def- addiction? What falls well, under that? You know, first we have to we have to kind of recognize that um, science has kind of moved beyond the word addiction, and that it, the word addiction is really kind of like the old word moron or imbecile. Uh-huh. It used to mean something medically, mm-hmm. and then the field stopped using it because it became so vague and subject, subjective we couldn't really use it anymore. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So the word the word addiction actually the modern you know DSM the the Bible so to speak of psychiatric diagnoses it only uses the word a couple of times and it basically says this is really a vague concept that we think kind of means something about acuity but it's not consistently or reliably kind of distinguished and so we need to kind of move beyond it i mean if, sure. if you think about it for years there's been kind of a debate about whether um you know marijuana was addictive right. there's been a debate you know because cocaine doesn't really show a withdrawal kind of syndrome etc mm-hmm. right. um so the best, the best research kind of standard is that you know addiction, so to speak, is when the brain changes from wanting something to needing it. So, so more like without, a more like a physical dependence upon it. Yeah, and and so with alcohol, for instance, you know uh, the brain actually starts to rely on the presence of alcohol in the bloodstream, and because the alcohol is there, the brain stops producing some neurochemicals and uses alcohol instead. Mm. Um, then, when you take alcohol away from that person because their brain is no longer producing those chemicals, a person can have a seizure and literally die. Nice. But if you take away sex from somebody that has been having a lot of sex, nothing happens. They might be a little grumpy, maybe. (laughs) A little grumpiness, but that's about it. But nobody ever died from blue balls. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. No, you'll be okay. I I think I'll be okay, yeah. Yeah, I had a surgery over the summer, and I... Yeah, there was no sex happening. I did not die. <laughs> you live to tell the yeah. tale. He's okay. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fine. <laughs> well, and the opposite is true, too. If you have a bunch of sex, you don't suddenly explode either. You know, like Well, you... <laughs> I definitely oh. explode during having a lot of sex, Angela. <laughs> oh, so true. true Your experience true. may be different. <laughs> What was the question? And people who have more sex to. live longer. I oh. mean, you know, I, I at this point am effectively immortal. Yeah, and me too. Yeah. Counting on it, right? Yeah. yeah. If that's my, you know, pill to be immortal, I can definitely take. Well, that and I definitely day. think it keeps people healthier and younger. I mean, I always tell clients, if you have no other motivation for it, how about sex exercise? I didn't go to the gym today, mm-hmm. so why can't yeah. I just get some movement? Well, I think if you're actively. <laughs> sexual you're also trying to take care of your physical appearance you're trying to be able to physically still be able to mount your partner oh. <laughs> so you have to be able to push yourself up off the ground that was very animalistic Josh. <laughs> now, the, you know, now the dirty secret in that research though is that we don't know if um you know increasing somebody's sex would um would actually you know make them live longer we don't know if perhaps you know the people People who are having more sex are people that are just autom- you know, just healthier anyway. Yeah. And they're having more sex because they're healthier. Oh, so we don't know if it's um, correlation or causation. Well, it's always hard yeah, to tell exactly. a causation, anyways. But yeah, like it's you the link. Is it there, one to the other? There's double maybe blind it's just studies. Both. Double blind studies with lots of hookers. I'm sure. We can <laughs> <figure it out. laughs> 
you know, there, there was one study in the Netherlands that I always have trouble finding, but I cited it in one of my books, and they actually showed that psychiatric patients in a, in a psychiatric hospital there, um, some of them got to go to a brothel every month, mm. and those patients needed less psychiatric medications oh, wow. and did, you know, had, had lower rates of symptoms, psychiatric symptoms. So, you know, sex really is good for us, yeah. and there's no, there's no point at which, you know, they, it turns into too much sex. Too much sex is always relative, mm-hmm. and it's relative to, you know, the person you're married to or to your therapist. And, you know, if you're having more sex than therapist, clearly there's something wrong with you, not the therapist. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, because therapists are infallible, right? Like, right. we're really awesome That's people. right. Yeah, we can do no wrong. <laughs> totally so, true. So talking about porn specifically, um, is does that say, translate over to porn as well? Is there... Yeah, so porn gets a little more complicated. I mean, first, you know, whenever we talk about porn, we also have to recognize we're actually talking about masturbation because sure. 90% of porn, well, you say sure, Josh, but most people don't think that. that no. You know, 90, 90% of porn use involves masturbation. And so when people talk about, oh, you know, porn is changing your brain, so to speak, what they're actually saying is masturbation to porn is changing your brain mm-hmm. is their argument. Now, it's a false argument. There's absolutely no evidence that people who use lots of pornography experience a brain change. Instead, what's more likely is that the brains of certain people who watch lots of pornography are brains of people who need higher levels of sensation or, you know, that they seek that kind of life on the edge. And that's why their brain looks that way. And that's why they watch lots of pornography. Um, the, The thing with pornography that gets complicated is that, you know, we're actually talking there about fantasy, for instance, and mm-hmm. there are fantasies and there are kind of private sexualities that people don't want you to have. Like mm-hmm. in the United Kingdom, they, you know, they banned female-dominant pornography yeah, because face-sitting. they... They yeah, face-sitting. Yep, yep. Yeah, they, they, they don't want people watching pornography of women being dominant. They right. banned anal sex porn recently because they think what? that... That's going to lead to teenagers having anal sex. Well, you know, well, teens like to have sex. I'm sorry, yeah. they're going to have sex whether right. you like it or not. Yeah. <laughs> and if you ban gay, if you ban anal sex porn, you're actually banning gay porn, right. and so yeah. they're, you know, dispositionally, um, uh, disproportionately, you know, affecting, uh, you know, gay youth, and mm-hmm. and that ultimately is really mm-hmm. most of the argument when people when people have concerns about pornography, and you start asking them what kinds of porn do you really have a problem with? What you find out is there are kinds of there are certain kinds of sexuality that they have a problem with. Right. They don't like aggressive mm-hmm. sex. They think all sex should be nice. Right. Um, Folded and, napkins uh, and everybody's really proper and just missionary. Yes, missionary, and, definitely. Yeah. And you have to keep your clothes on or you could have oh, sex through a sheet. You, you can <laughs> remove the pants down to the knees, but that's it. That's as far as it goes. Right. And exactly. you can't look at each other. That's no. a part of it. Uh, that would be improper. Now, <laughs> now I, was reading, I was reading this interesting neuro psychological research over the weekend and there's these uh, I'm going to write a piece on it as I haven't gotten around to it yet but they, uh, there were some interesting findings that pe- the stronger a person's um, feelings against pornography the, mo- the in some evidence the more their brain reacts to pornography huh. mm-hmm. they're more sensitive so to it, the it raises images. the idea that one of the reasons why many of these people you know hate pornography is because it turns them on in a mm-hmm. way that scares them yeah and they're they're ashamed of it yeah they're uncomfortable with their own sexuality so when they see that 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 freaks them out that goes back to something i I wanted to point out from earlier you mentioned you know like what what is too much porn really and i think it comes from people's belief systems right so Mm -hmm. like to some people any amount of porn is bad so Mm -hmm. like i've asked people like what how much porn are you watching because i guess to me i think a good average would be once a day when you're masturbating once a day right and there's no necessarily right or wrong to how much you're masturbating but like People will tell me once a week, once a month, mm-hmm. and I'm like, you're, that, you're like nowhere yeah. near. Like, what do you? Yeah. Exp- and, how is that an addiction? You're concerned about your porn use at that. I mean, I, you know, extreme porn use in most research that's you know out at the edge of the bell curve is between 17 and 60 minutes a day. Um, but in contrast, people watch five hours of television a day on average. Oh yeah, and so mm-hmm. it, it's the masturbation and the sexual component that people are reacting to. 
if somebody's watching Fox News, you know, for five or six <laughs> hours a day, frankly, I'm a little more worried about them. And I am too, I mean, because you really, know, like... Recent, recent, yeah, recent reports are showing that, you know, Trump is watching seven hours of Fox News a day. Oh, gosh. It is really hard to come while watching Fox News, too. <laughs> <laughs> It is a lot easier just to watch porn. You, you, have, you feel a lot know. more satisfied walking away from it, I yeah, think. Yeah, and it reduces, it reduces my stress a lot more effectively. Oh, yeah. I think I'd have more shame masturbating to Fox News. I would, too. Well, the only time I ever see it is over at the McDonald's nearest, so I would definitely have oh. more shame. <laughs> You might actually get arrested, honey. No, so I don't, won't. Definitely don't do that. I, I don't do it anymore, definitely. No, I would never do that. Yeah, boy, that's, that, that's a special sauce right there. Oh, yeah. Oh, Szechuan. Uh, special sauce. Two all-beef patties. Yeah. Well, I actually have a question for you, David. I kind of want to move into the realm of polyamory. One thing you well, said in one of your trainings, if you don't sure. mind. Is Josh okay you, with that? I, I am. I, he's I still had some more questions about porn, but we can get we back can to that. We can get back to it. So I'm curious. You said you don't think that it's normal to be monogamous or you don't think it's like the most common way why don't you tell me i read i was Um, i think it was on one of your interviews uh, yeah so so what i you know what i point out is that in fact um polygyny um you know non-monogamous kind of marriages is the most uh common form of marriage in human history there have been um you know in the bible for instance and throughout human history polygamy one man with multiple women has been the most common form of marriage now um we moved as a society and, and as a species, really, to monogamy, you know, basically eh, a few hundred years ago, really idealizing it. I think monogamy works great for some people, but I think other people it's not a good match for. The problem that we have right now is that we have been, for many years, therapists um, and religious folks, etc., have been, you know, forcing the monogamy ideal on everybody as a mm-hmm. one-size-fits-all kind of mandate. And and, and it doesn't fit or work for everybody. Well, and even the people who value it sometimes are struggling within that um, framework. I mean, the percentage. So I just wrote my book on infidelity and the percentages are they can reach as high as 70 percent, depending on the survey that you're, t- that you're uh-huh. reading of like right. rates of infidelity. And to me, I was like, wow, you know, maybe this is just kind of like a life cycle transition for people that happens. Yeah. And there's actually a book that just came out by Esther Esther Perel. Perel, And she's talking about, she's in in defense of the adulterers. She's, she's trying to normalize it. She's like, this is something that happens. Well, it is pretty common actually. And she's trying to point, not tell people not to do it. It's more just saying, you know, if that's in your morals, don't freak the F Uh out. You know, when it does happen, Mm -hmm. (laughs) don't burn the, don't throw the baby out with the (laughs) bathwater. You know, I I see so many people who struggle um, with infidelity because, and one of the reasons they struggle with it the most is that they feel like there is something wrong for them um, having these temptations. Right. And mm-hmm. you know, the more again, you know, the more we view this as something that you know is this personal deficit. The you know, the more we the more we make this a disease model. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, the harder it is to understand and and treat and deal with, um, and and to absorb or accept, kind of within couples, um, mm-hmm. you know. And, and mm-hmm. one of the interesting things about Esther is that, um, you know, she's kind of this lightning rod right now. And some of the attachment disorder therapists um, and gurus, really, who've been leading that industry for a long time, they are um, they're really really threatened by Esther's ideas around monogamy. They're really really, really threatened by the idea of pornography. And they're getting pretty ugly. I mean, they oh, wow. are going after are, people in these really aggressive kinds of ways. Who are those people? <laughs> well, like, what are what are their stances? I'm um, not sure who you're well, talking you about. know, John, John Gottman and Sue Johnson are kind oh. of the two leaders of the attachment um, uh, field, and they both have published pieces about you know. Uh, how you know polyamory is ultimately unhealthy about how oh, you know, wow. pornography leads to people getting attached to pornography instead oh. of real people um, and they they really really are are fighting this battle against modern sexuality um, mm. because they believe that you know the healthiest kind of form of relationship is a monogamous attachment to one person hmm. but they're really kind of unwilling to recognize that that is a pretty modern social construct and that you know even a hundred years ago um 
you know, marriages were oftentimes marriages of convenience and that men were, you know, expected to be unfaithful and to not really, you know, have this kind of primary love and intimate, you know, attachment and connection um, mm-hmm. with their partner that we idealize today. Right. It wasn't about romantic love. It was about it was about family. It was about sometimes yeah. even an arranged marriage. Yeah. Or moving up in society. It yeah. was a business arrangement. Yeah. So it was understood that you didn't marry for love. You married for safety and security right. and so people didn't right. kind of look down on the affairs because they thought that is this little silly piddly thing yeah you know I because w- they would still come back i wanted to mention this so after i read that article on esther perel's book i realized what she's doing is harm reduction and this is goes back to our addiction model so one of the chapters in this book how to change your drinking which is a heart is a um, kind of a core book for the harm reduction model is that it says if you're trying to make a change for your drinking what you need to look at is both the pros and the cons of your drinking because if you only look at the shame the pro or the cons then what happens is is eventually okay you stop drinking the cons go away and you start to crave the good parts Mm -hmm. of the alcohol Uh and i think and essentially with this infidelity stuff she's asking them to say like talk about the goods and the bads that Mm -hmm. came from this infidelity what did you get out of it why were you tempted what did you how did it make you live and yeah. grow as a they're person. Not, they're not doing it because it makes them feel bad. They're doing no, it because it makes them it feels feel good. good. It's exciting. Sure. And so to really like, thrill. yeah, to really come out of this, you have to look at it as a whole situation, like mm-hmm. the full context, not just, oh, this is this horrible thing because clearly it wasn't only horrible. Sure. Why would you do it? And I think some people worry about, you know, talking about that because then they'll be like, oh, well, you're glorifying the, the affair. But no, that's not the point of talking no. about it. The point of talking about it is so that you can understand what you were reaching out for, what you were yeah. missing in your life. And, and to see if you can create you that can, in the relationship. Right, see if you can find a way to do that within your relationship. Or open up the relationship yeah. if you're up. open to or it. Or open it up. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people are just dishonest with each other when it comes to a lot of sexuality, even in, yeah. in their own marriages, not just to themselves. Because they'll say, oh, no, you're the only one for me, baby. I would never look at another <laughs> and woman. And you, and you, and you, and, and you, her. <laughs> and you, and every other woman I've ever been with yeah, has been the only one for me. We're taught to treat sex as this special, idealized kind of thing that is different from every other human behavior. Mm-hmm. Um, and... Uh, and, and the reality is that, you know, that it's not, that, you know, sexuality and sexual behavior and sexual arousal are part of, you know, human experience, just like anger and sadness and aggression and, you know, People talk about, you know, you can be addicted to sex, but nobody talks about, well, can you be addicted to work? Um, and, oh, yeah. You know, sh- 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 <laughs> Actually, sh- I sh- think people can work too much. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> should we be treating people for working too much as a disease? Yeah. Um, <sighs> I think ultimately it all comes back to to some of those same kind of, you know, um, ideas that, you know, that love um, is better than sex and because it's more spiritual, it's more above kind of this this physical world. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a big part of where people have a disconnect from reality Mm -hmm. is they try to tie sex with this spiritual experience instead of just understanding that it's a part of human biology. I mean, Mm -hmm. we were actually watching a documentary yesterday the other day about the bonobos talking about bonobos who are (laughs) very close relatives of ours Mm -hmm. uh, humans evolutionarily and they bang all day long yeah that's how they keep their culture (laughs) and society together they literally have sex all day long that is pretty much their like tennis well and it goes back to something david mentioned earlier which is like from old-timey psychology we used to believe that there was a separation between the mind and the body but Mm -hmm. biology and science says no it's all connected so like you're an animal yes you do have that frontal lobe that helps you like think about life and feel sad about it and stuff (laughs) but Beyond it, you're still that. kind of animalistic you in nature. <laughs> Don't worry, you can still feel bad about yourself. <laughs> well, that's what the frontal lobe brings, right? But it's all, just, but it's right? all just a chemical that causes it. It's not magic. <laughs> it is. What you're saying. What are your thoughts, David? Uh, <laughs> well, you know, I think you know the, the research with the bonobos is is kind of um, a bit of a controversy because there's mm-hmm. arguments that a lot of the sexual behavior that we see in bonobos um, has been uh, predominantly kind of viewed in captivity and not necessarily in the wild so we're not entirely sure that they are as kind of sexual a creature um in the wild as we would like to believe but i think the the one we were watching was them 
what? the one we were watching was actually them in the wild. It was them so, in the rainforest. And they were, they were doing it all day long, but hmm. yeah, I guess. I, I think the powerful thing um, in all of that is that we are always looking for ways to kind of make it okay to be ourselves. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. you know, it's not okay for us to say, well, look, I am just a, a pretty sexual being and, um, you know, I've accepted that in myself and, I, and I'm finding ways to negotiate and accommodate that in my life. Instead, we need we need this this backup. We need well, you know, barbos are, are sexual too, and, and it's okay for them. Right. You know, one of the stories I talk about often is uh, you know Wilt Chamberlain. Wilt Chamberlain, you know, allegedly had you know basketball star had sex with ten thousand different women supposedly, but he was a guy who um, he never got married, and he pretty intentionally didn't get married because he, he knew he would be a bad husband. But he, um, you know, was still a pretty moral guy. He was still a pretty thoughtful guy. He donated charities. He was obviously a successful athlete and lived a really kind of powerfully um, healthy kind of life um, while he was having, you know, uh, so much sex that people would think, oh, there must be must be something wrong with him. And I think that's a good model that we don't really have these days. We don't have role models of how to be responsible sexually in a way of other than heterosexual monogamy. No, I agree with you. I, I mm-hmm. think that all of the people on television, any celebrities, mm-hmm. you will never see. Like, it is very rare for you to see anybody who is... First of all, we're just starting to see people who are openly homosexual and actors and other things mm-hmm. like that. But people who are alter- in other alternative lifestyles, like polyamory, yeah. it doesn't exist. Like, I have very rarely heard of it. Well, and all. I think what happens as a result is because that is the standard that if you're outside of it, then you're more likely to lie. And mm-hmm. what I saw in dating Still culture about it. Yeah. long ago before you and I were married, honey, and I uh, dated. What? <laughs> How dare you? That's so it. I remember Get me to a nunnery. Oh, I know, right? So like I remember guys would lie about their interest in the commitment level and oh, yeah. um that I feel is very unethical. Like I would rather know you just want a one night stand than for you to pretend like you want a long-term relationship and mm. then and like then and then bail. That's yeah. more painful than just knowing what you're getting into. Yeah, that's being dishonest and that's treating people So what's more ethical, right? Being honest about what your intentions are and or just living late. up to that ideal that you really don't want to live up to or maybe well, you I think can't. I think they're lying because they want to get laid i mean well, i know <laughs> that's the reality but we're not also teaching a se- sexual ethics code growing no. up either i mean kids yeah. are getting terrible sex education these days <laughs> yeah i mean and that's the reality is people lie mm-hmm. men lie a lot when it comes to sex because they want to have sex so when they're dating they'll lie about things like that and then when they're in a relationship they also lie about porn they will yeah, I, I, i've seen I, that I, I i've read the studies Every man watches porn. Yeah. <laughs> like you, you mentioned a study where they were trying to study men who don't uh-huh. watch porn mm-hmm. and they, they couldn't, couldn't find them. Find them. <laughs> they couldn't find Does those people. Does not compute. So they couldn't actually do the study. <laughs> what are your thoughts on this one, David? <laughs> It does vary by age group. Um, you know, they as we go older, we find more men who um, don't watch pornography. Um, but amongst the younger generation, as you said, you know, um, they they have largely been exposed to it, and, and and that is because we didn't teach them anything about sex. We gave them, you know, uh, electronic communications and devices where they could access pornography without any preparation for it. Right. And, you know, and this is a generational issue that in 20 years, nobody's going to give a shit about pornography because they're going to be focused more on, you know, saving the planet, dealing with, you know. Oh, yeah, because we got rid of global warming, right? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. No, no, no. He banned global warming research. So it can't so, happen. So we don't have to worry about it anymore. Oh, it's okay. No, that's right, yeah. That makes sense. We'll be okay. We'll still be arguing about sex in 20 years. <laughs> I promise you that. Well, you know, I well, I think I think we'll be arguing about different stuff about sex because yeah. you know it, it, it constant. This is constantly changing. It's constantly moving target. Every new technology brings out a sex panic. You know, mm-hmm. um, and um, hookup apps are going to spread. I can tell you the next one. And yada yada yada. There'll be something new. It'll be the same old arguments that yeah. you know. Oh, I sex is changing, and yeah. we need to save mm-hmm. the world. I think what we're seeing right now is this battle, though. We're seeing this really vitriolic battle between the you know the hyper conservatives and sort of the rest of the world and we're seeing that in sexuality we're seeing it in climate change we're seeing it in politics we're seeing it in these religious issues um and everything is just really at a head right now and and i 
the thing I struggle with is how extreme it all is, that it's all black and white, it's all my way or the highway, and if you don't agree 100% um, with either side, whether it's the, you know, the hyper-conservatives or the hyper-liberals, mm-hmm. then there's something deeply wrong with you, and you must be, you know, attacked or killed or, or shut out. Whoa, let's not kill people here. Yeah, PSA, <laughs> don't kill people. The more you the more know. You know. <laughs> We just want to clarify, because if there are listeners who could have done that, we want to be clear. Don't oh, kill yeah. people. Yeah, because people always <laughs> listen to podcasts. We, we hold no liability if you go out and kill people. Yeah. We don't Please want don't you to do, do that. that. do not want you to do that. Yeah. I'm all at Definitely. So, like you were saying, you know, the future things that people are arguing about, mm-hmm. I 100% know the next one. It's going to be VR. That's it. Because I have the VR goggles. I have the, the virtual P- reality PlayStation stuff. VR goggles. And now there's enough games out there that they're starting to really sell, mm-hmm. and there's porn for it. So there's going to be exists. porn virtual reality, and it is very immersive. I have to tell you that. Well, Being yeah. in the VR, oh, I played world, it. It was pretty freaky. It, like she got, <laughs> she got motion sickness in the I car. I did. I yeah. can't even play it. And, and <laughs> I think people are going to see that, and they're going to see, oh, you have a thing on your head and a box of tissues next to you, and you're never coming to bed talking to me, <laughs> husband. What's wrong with you? It's like, well, they're just changing how they masturbate. You just, it's easier to see that they have a giant goggles on their head now. <laughs> Do you remember the book Fahrenheit 451 and, you know, how immersive um, the, you know, kind of television soap opera virtual reality kind of world was there? And, you know, I think there's always been people who are going to get immersed in, you know, something other than the real world. And then there's going to be lots of people who, you know, dabble in it and move on. Mm -hmm. And... You know, the, the the people that get immersed in VR porn are the same people that right now are immersed in porn or immersed in video games. Mm-hmm. And these are mostly people who don't have effective social lives anyway. Right. Yeah. That's the problem right there is it's not the actual thing that they're reaching out for. It's that they don't know what to reach for. They don't know how to. Yeah. Well, it's a way to escape your depression. Well, or they don't have the cognitive abilities to do right. so. And this at least offers them. You know, mm-hmm. I work with lots of disabled folks, and you're going to tell them that they can't have this virtual reality kind of life and no, sex no. when, yeah. you know, you know their body can't do it in the real world mm-hmm. so you're taking that away from them how dare you no they should have more access to it 100 percent. i yeah. agree yeah. it's it's amazing stuff but yeah like the people who are reaching out for it who maybe you have a little bit of a compulsion for it mm-hmm. you know we were, you were talking about i think a lot of those people are people who kind of feel isolated in general i think mm-hmm. they're uh-huh. trying to reach out for some human contact mm-hmm. and that's all they're able to get so yeah. yeah. Well, we need to have mediums for that and not be do. shaming people for it. And I, I think that's where a lot of where we're failing as a society with young men and women is that people get isolated and we just kind of say, oh, they're weird. Let's move on. But I mm-hmm. mean, that's where school shooters come from. Not to go weird, but not, and not all <laughs> of them is, end up being that way. But, do, that but, but that's the reality is yeah. that um, a lot of depression people. comes from isolation. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, there's a lot more contextual factors associated with this. Yeah. You know, I was hoping we could maybe move into sexting since we're talking about technological sex. That sounds like a great topic. <laughs> okay, let me, yeah, let me get my phone um, off uh, uh, the, the, the sleep mode before you start yep, texting. Yep. Okay, don't, I'm good. Don't, yeah, I, no, no. I, I already sent you a dick pic. You're good to go. <laughs> Hey, I didn't ask you to send a dick pic. Oh, yeah, Non-consent. Consent first. Okay, consensual you know, dick pic on the way. That's the that's the funny thing is that you know they've actually looked at this and I've written about this. I mean, yeah. is that you know guys guys send dick pics because they think that women are going to be just as happy to receive them as the guy would be to receive a vagina. Right. And, the men would be and, perfectly and, happy to receive yeah. it. Boundaries. In, Boundaries. In the gay male men. community, you know, there's lots and lots of dick pics flying around all over the place, and yeah. nobody cares. Nobody cares. Everybody's happy to get them. Well, I just want to put it out there that if you guys would create your dick pics a little bit more artistically then maybe we would like them <laughs> like maybe have them in a little french with costume, a little, beret. little yeah. beret yeah we actually watched this hilarious comedian um not safe with nikki glazer and she did a whole episode where they sent artistic they created artistic dick pics yeah. like they put one of the yeah, penises into a sandwich and took that picture <laughs> we were actually talking about this the other day how about mm-hmm. how men have different boundaries than women and you said a lot of men say 
Oh, I don't have boundaries at all. No, they do. They, they do. have boundaries. I just they're think they're just, further out. They're just very, very minuscule and on the edges. Well, see, I was on another podcast, and maybe, David, you can speak to this, but the the guy on the other podcast says to me, he's like, guys would, are very happy with you crossing their boundaries. Mm-hmm. And I said, I, I don't agree with that. I think guys have boundaries, and if you cross them, they're just as unhappy as you are. But I right. think, like I always tell this story as a difference between a male's boundaries and a female's boundaries. So if you were to just take your hand to your husband, who wants you to touch him, right. <laughs> Hi. And you put it on his penis, he would be like, well, let's see where this goes. But if you do the same thing to your wife, you put your hand on her vagina, she'd be like, whoa, what are you doing? Right. It's just a matter of like how how far the boundaries are. Why is that different? (laughs) I'm asking both of you. And, you know, a lot of guys are going to have a boundary. Um, I'm fine you touching my penis, but if you come at my ass with that strap on, I'm going to freak out. (laughs) Right. Um, Yeah, there's a boundary. There are boundaries. Yeah, you know, the... (laughs) I agree with you, Angela. I think it's a great point. Guys do have boundaries. I mean, I think that you know the the place where we're not effectively addressing these issues is that we're not we're not talking about you know different people have different boundaries. You know, males mm-hmm. and females may have different boundaries, and we need to learn to accommodate both. Unfortunately, yeah. a lot of this argument is. Well, you know, one group's boundaries should overrule everybody else's, and yep. you know, and, oh, and that's what we've got right now with the Me Too movement. Is that you know, for for hundreds of years, powerful, wealthy men could get a get, could get away with whatever the fuck they wanted right. because they were celebrities. Their you know where their boundaries were set or senators. Ruled. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or senators, and and now yeah. we're moving back from that. Um, mm-hmm. I think okay. you know. I think we're still in kind of a reactionary mode, and we're swinging you know wild extreme to wild extreme. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what I tell guys is you know the danger of, of of sexting to people you don't know, for instance, is that you know like Anthony Weider or like many men, you may send that dick pic to a person who's underage, and then her parents find it, and you're a sex offender. And now you're a sex yeah. offender yeah. for the rest of your life. 100%. Well, and another challenging component to this is that um, people need both verbal and nonverbal consent. So we talked actually with a sex surrogate a while back about this, and they do like educational classes about this. But sometimes people will give you the lip service, yes, but their mind is saying no. I think that was kind of what happened with Louis C.K. There was a situation right. where... Where he went into... He invited two women up to his, his hotel, hotel room, room. And he said... Hey, is it okay if I take my pants off? And they said yes. They said yes, but their minds but and their faces probably uh, were probably conveying. I don't thought, know how comfortable they thought they he are. was joking. Yeah, sure. Yeah. They sure. thought he was joking, and but when he whipped it out and started playing with himself, they I don't think they were as happy. Well, and that's the point. Yeah. I think that we need from as people are being raised, people need to be able to kind of read those nonverbal cues, mm-hmm. and also people need to feel safe to verbally say if they're comfortable right. or not comfortable with things right. too. It needs to kind of go both ways. And that's why with Louis C.K., he was kind of in a one-down position because he's the celebrity comic, and there mm-hmm. are younger comics who are trying to be on his. But trying to be openers for him. Well, it may be them, difficult you know? to get consent like that mm-hmm. over the phone. It's like a boss. You oh, should probably yeah, talk. I'm sexting. talking. We're talking about sexting, but this is relevant, right. and that is yeah. that. I mean, if somebody just says yes, and what if they weren't kind of open to it, but you know, like they feel weird or there's shameful? No, yeah, there's not a lot of nonverbal consent on the phone. Yeah, it's kind yeah. of hard. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it's all a moving target and I think that we again you know we're not teaching people how to understand or negotiate these kinds of yeah, things um, and that's some of the education we need to be having a lot more of I mean I think that you know sex education in schools should be a lot more focused on the complexity of these gray zones so for I mean like for instance you know the the uh, you know consent issue in college rape and college campuses mm-hmm. um, you know with uh, if you remember a year or so ago they were putting out these apps that would record you consenting to sex so that if if somebody later changed their mind you could play back the video of consent and oh my god I just think that that's so um, it's it's kind of ridiculous and and it's sad mm-hmm. I think that you know my wife and I talked about that you you know. We said, gee, you know, how many times do we have sex um, without ever saying a word, but just kind of raising an eyebrow at each other, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, But you have that relationship that you've built up over the years, and you understand when you're giving consent uh, to each other. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, And I think that 
that relationship, that communication, that mm-hmm. self-awareness, um, that, you know, that, that negotiation. But, you know, in Ohio last year, you know, a, a guy, a, a state senator was put on trial for having sex with his wife who was in a nursing home and her adult children, his stepchildren, said later that she couldn't <laughs> consent to that sex. And so he was put on trial for rape. Now That's he was crazy. found... It was found not guilty, but it raises real complicated stuff because yeah, yeah. consent is is a lot more gray than we all like to pretend. Mm-hmm. It's not a simple thing. No, it's not. Yeah, we were talking about that mm-hmm. before. Is like if I ever had Alzheimer's and I was in a home and yeah. people were trying to stop her from having sex with me, I'm like, no, I want to sign a piece of paper now that says yeah. she can bang the crap out of me till I die. <laughs> Like she, she, she can do anything yeah. she wants. She can do whatever she wants. Now, if I'm scared and saying no, don't touch me. No, yeah, I wouldn't that's rape different. you like that, honey. But <laughs> for somebody who's consenting, and physically and into it, and there's yeah. not resistance, and they've already said that they're okay with it, like yeah, that's silly. Yeah, let's, don't you? Wanna... Oh yeah, go we, on. We got about ten minutes left, so uh, well, yeah. I would actually like to know a little bit about what is ethical porn for dicks. <laughs> Your book. Yeah. What, <laughs> yeah, what, what does so... that mean? Yeah, my newest book. Um, it's it's kind of a funny story. I wrote it um, after an experience I had uh, with Katie Couric. Um, I was on Katie Couric's uh, TV show, and um, Katie, it turns out, is a bit of a prude. And <laughs> no really, way. No. Yeah. She really didn't like you know hearing about research about pornography that kind of confronted or contradicted some of her ideas about yeah. how dangerous pornography is. Interesting. And. But I realized in the, in the moment, um, actually drunk afterwards, because it was a really pretty challenging experience, yeah. that um, I wasn't doing a good job and we're not doing a good job talking to people about pornography in a more kind of responsible right. way and people acknowledging are. goods and bads. Yeah. So. I wrote that book and I wrote it I wrote it for guys. I wrote it as though I'm having a beer with a guy talking about pornography um, rather than talking like a scientist or a researcher. Mm-hmm. That's um, awesome. And then I also, you know, it's, I wrote it in sections short enough for guys to read on the toilet. Because um, that's, <laughs> that's how men read. Yeah. Yep. Right. And, and I actually illustrated it with um, uh, petroporn, with these petroglyphs or cave drawings from around the world that are, um, in some cases, thousands of years years old and are some of the filthiest pictures you've ever seen there's nothing <laughs> modern porn that is not chiseled on the walls of caves oh, somewhere. Yeah. oh i just call that old-timey um, porn yeah that's right i mean you know gang bangs bestiality gay yeah. sex group sex i mean it's all out there masturbation yeah. etc and um but my intent was to was to say to guys um look you know um it's fine for you to use pornography you need to understand why you're using it so that you can talk talk about your use of it in a responsible kind of way. Originally, the title of the book was going to be A Gentleman's Guide to Porn Use, but nobody thought that guys today really care about being gentlemen. No, we didn't <laughs> no ethical porn for dicks catch, caught my attention a lot more. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. That's um, you know, like I tell I tell guys, you know, don't 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 come on a girl's face unless you can be a gentleman as you do so. In other words, you have to have talked to her about it before you do it. You can't just whip yeah. it out and come on her face because no. you saw it. They definitely frown upon that. Yeah. <laughs> no, you have to say, milady, is it okay if I spread my seed across your face? <laughs> yes, but can we keep a napkin close by? Do not get it in thine eye. <laughs> I love that you went in like King James version style well, we talk. Talking about gentlemen, <laughs> you have to go. The these and the dows. Yeah, you have to, yeah, you totally have to. <laughs> you go just there. made me get the vapors. Oh, I'll give you some vapor all over your face later. <laughs> love you, <laughs> <laughs> milady. My dear. No, she would never like that. I wouldn't. No, yeah. it's not cool. <laughs> I don't know if any women do. But... No, no, it makes me some women go do look for some some Victorian porn. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Well, I know they had lingerie in Victorian era. Read the old Fanny Hill book. I mean, mm. it's got all that. Yeah, they did the oil paintings for porn. Oh, yeah. yeah. See, and they, people they have loved PG. nudity and sex since the dawn of time. You know, oh, yeah. it's just that now, maybe because we have it on the internet and there's more, it's just more in your face that people are more freaked out about it. But like, when you were kids, you just kept a, a porn magazine in a tire somewhere in the oh, woods. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, if you found a tire in an abandoned like forest or yard you there was always porn in there was always porn hidden in tires that's how it happened so i have a question yeah, 
that's the other thing, Josh. Yeah. I mean, we have this whole new generation of kids who didn't have to go looking for porn in, in dumpsters or in the woods. <laughs> yeah. I mean, let's talk about that change. It's probably Let, safer. Let's talk about how they're not going to be as effective hunters because it was too easy for them to find porn. Oh, wow. This is a part of our evolution. Uh, I actually think it's a good, a good thing that they don't have to do that because I feel like having to go out into the wilderness to search for sexuality puts children at risk for exploitation. Like, uh, I know that's funny, but no, the reality but sure is I, I, serious I know here. stories of people who they were out in the woods when mm-hmm. sexual abuse happened. So I think them having access to pornography... Hmm. Probably better for them Maybe not safer. to at a young age, but I mean the reality is kids seek it out. Like we say, oh, eighteen and older, but I don't know a single man who didn't see it by the time they were fifteen. That's yeah. the reality. Well, yeah. well and, and when we talk about kids seeing porn, I'd like to know what what definition of porn is being used. Right. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and how can you tell the difference between the porn that's online and, say, for instance, Game of Thrones? Right. Oh yeah. Or Cinemax. Yeah. <laughs> That is yeah, such a dirty man. show. Oh, yeah. It's great, though. It is great. It's a great show. Super hot. <laughs> oh, that dragon. Oh, my. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> no, and it's true. So, and also, I think part of this is, like, how do you talk to your kids about making good decisions? You know, back to maybe your ethical porn for dicks or even, like, the sexting situation. It's, how can you just have an open conversation? Talk to them about what the consequences of their actions would be if they do certain things. Talk to them about... Um, boundaries boundaries what the people law says to, people need to know? know their own boundaries i think that's a, a a place people miss out because they're not willing to talk to their kids about sex is they don't they don't they aren't able to teach them what boundaries are and that mm-hmm. they're allowed to have them many of the couples uh-huh. that i work with right after an infidelity it's the first time they've ever had a conversation about boundaries with me <laughs> in my office and these yeah. are like 40 year old people 50s some younger too. I'm yeah. just. It's it's shocking to me how little people know about sex and their bodies. It's because it's so taboo to a lot of people. Like I was saying, bringing yeah. up sex around other people's teenagers or just around them in general, people shut it down. Yeah, they see it as us. Oh, Evil. Yeah, yeah we're, not, we're not supposed to talk about sex um, except when we're turned on. Mm-hmm. Um, the rest of the time, we're supposed to pretend that, you know, that, that we're not sexual beings. Mm-hmm. And that's how you end up with this, with this split. That's how you end up with these you know, guys and, uh, you know, who are acting you know, incredibly irresponsibly sexually and pretending that that, that that is a whole separate part of who they are and that they can go off to sex addiction summer camp and yeah. stop being that person. Well, mm-hmm. no your sexuality is part of you and we want you to be a healthy being overall including your sexuality yeah. mm-hmm. and i think it's healthier that way like i was mentioning the tire in the woods i think if you hide something it, it creates environments where there can be exploitation mm-hmm. whether it's in the woods or just in your own sexual ex- mm-hmm. exploration well not just exploitation but the more shameful an shame, experience yeah. is the more <clears throat> like i always say the dirty underbelly of shame is intoxication mm-hmm. great excitement and, and interest in in that thing right so the more shameful the thing is the more likely you are to go towards it and want mm-hmm. it more and what i found with i mean some of my religious clients is their sexual acting out is a lot more intense mm-hmm. often really really problematic more so than if sex would just be normalized right because they have to put it in the shadows and what's in the shadows you can't see yeah, yeah. Well. oh i think we're towards the end of the show we great... covered everything i think <laughs> We uh, have. It's been fun. It has been fun. It was really great having you on. You have a lot of interesting things to say, David. Well, uh, David, are there I, any I, final things you. you want to plug for the end of the show, like things that are coming up, books, websites? Um, you know, the easiest way for folks to find me and find out kind of what's going on for me is on Twitter, um, you know, at Dr. David Lay, last name is L-E-Y, um, is the best way to find me. And I, you know, I've got, um, I've got a whole bunch of speaking gigs coming up in, uh, in 2018. I'm actually going to be traveling the world doing a lot of talks, which is really awesome. Um, I've got some new research coming out with um, co-author Dan Savage, which is uh, really fascinating. He's never published a research study, and and I got to uh, involve him in some research that we're doing together and and have that coming out. So I'm pretty excited about that one. Are you willing to talk about that at all a little bit? 
like about um, the topic? Yeah, it's about it's about gay cuckolding. Um, it's gay about cuckolding. Uh, men who like to um, you know kind of enjoy humiliation of sharing their you know their gay husband with other men. Mm-hmm. And Dan had said famously that cuckolding was really only a heterosexual thing. And my first book is about cuckolding. Yeah. And um, uh, but since gay marriage was legalized, all of a sudden we're seeing and hearing a lot more about gay cuckolds. And uh, so we researched it and um, found some pretty interesting stuff. I mean, we found that, you know, for instance, the straighter a guy was, so, um, so, you know, on the Kinsey scale, you know, these guys are married to men, but the straighter they were, the more interested they were in um, their, their husband being with a guy with a big dick. Wow. Interesting. So 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 straight guys like big dicks. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, straight guys like big dicks, clearly, yeah, um, for their partner. Um, they don't want to oh, enjoy it themselves. They want to watch their partner enjoy it. Um, well, I like having and, a big uh, dick, too, though. <laughs> but, yeah. <laughs> so, I th- yeah, it's really interesting stuff. There's all, and we're really excited for that research to come out because I yeah. think it's going to be pretty f- provocative and trigger some good conversations. Yeah, I can't oh, yeah. wait to read that. That sounds awesome. Yeah, sounds really good. Stuff. Well, thank you again for being on the show. And, of course, I've got my book coming out, Helping Couples Overcome Infidelity, a therapist manual where I cover. Congratulations. I know, awesome. right? Like, it's. It's coming out in January, and I'm really excited about yeah, it. That's amazing. Um, yeah. And then, of course, if you want to see Therapist in St. Louis, it's www.therapistinstlouis.com. And this has been the About Sex Podcast. I'm Joshua Skirtu. Thank you, David Lay, for being here. And Angela, love you. I love you, too. You're Thank awesome. you for this being on. This is a great right? episode. And that's it. Thanks. It's been a lot Thanks. of fun. Have a good night, everybody. Bye-bye.